you know, we're in a historic moment in history as we crown the king yesterday and the coronation. Who, um, who watched the coronation yesterday? Oh, not everyone, yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. We watched it at the lovely Quant's house. Oh, yeah, I'm meant to be doing this. At the lovely Quant's house. And uh, drank tea out of cups and saucers. Very civilized. Is that a British thing or an English thing, the pinky? Who knows? Um, and we, we ate uh, cheese and cucumber crackers. Very nice. And uh, they, they had a bottle of Prosecco, which I wasn't able to partake in. But, you know, we raised a glass and uh, I watched the service. And yesterday I learned a fun fact as we were watching the service, you know, because there was a lot of symbolism and there were lots of things in the church. Um, but obviously the crown, which is you know, an incredible uh, piece of, I remember being, when I was younger, we, we went to the Tower of London and saw the crown jewels and I was fascinated by the crown jewels. They are, if you've seen them in person, they are absolutely spectacular. Um, anyway, I learned that the, the crown that the king uh, was wearing yesterday weighed, do we know how much it weighed? Well, I googled it and it said 2.23 kilograms, but though someone else said 2.5 kilograms as well. So, I mean, we're up there in the two, two kilograms. And just to put that into perspective, that is more than a bag of the big bag of flour on your head. You know, we're getting onto two bags of flour on your head. Can you imagine the pressure that that man faced yesterday, watched by millions around the world? holding that crown on his head and having to walk the length of Westminster Abbey. I mean, I just take my hat off to him for doing that. I think uh, we were saying, actually, as Camilla was walking, she, you know, you could tell, you could tell, couldn't you, that it was heavy. So um, really, really amazing. But um, I have to say, I was, I was a little bit nervous about the service. I was, I was nervous that how, how they might change the wording and the promises that the king made to our nation. Um, but actually, I was really moved and I was really pleasantly surprised by how central Christ was uh, to the service. And uh, I was actually really touched by the opening uh, with the little boy who, who came out and he said, you know, your majesty is chosen of the kingdom of God. We welcome you in the name of the king of kings. Woo! What a way to open the tone of the service. We welcome you in the name of the King of Kings. And King Charles responded, you know, in his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to be served. And, you know, I'm really, you know, I'm really thankful that I, I, I come not to, not to be served, but to serve. Did I say it the other way around? Oh dear, that's a faux pas. Good job he didn't do that yesterday, isn't it? Good job he was reading from the script. Um, but, you know, isn't it wonderful that we have a monarch who promises to lead after Jesus' example to us as, as a leader? You know, I really celebrate that. And, uh, you know, we need to pray for him. Um, so with the coronation weekend approaching, obviously I was reflecting on uh, kingship and reflecting on this kind of idea of, of king. Um, and really been reflecting on how God is many things to us, isn't he? Um, but one of the things he is to us is that he is our king. And we were remembering that this morning kind of in worship, just kind of that place, that, that role that he has in our lives. And throughout the Bible, there are, there are many references to God as king. In the Psalms, there's many times that the psalmists say, you know, my king and my God, or my king, uh, you know, help me, or king over all the earth. Um, and then in Revelation, there's, a, there's an incredible passage, um, the description of Jesus, 
you know, whose eyes were bright like flames of fire. And, and it says, and on his robe um, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, and really, I was just thinking about, you know, if we look back at the beginning um, of the Bible, really God's um, intention was to be our king, to be king of our lives and to be king of the nation and the nation of Israel. And that's how it was really. Um, up until 1 Samuel, um, God was you know, and, and is, is still and, and, and was still even in 1 Samuel. But, but really the people recognized him as their, as their king and as their leader. But we get to 1 Samuel 8, um, verses 4 to 22, um, and we see that in that passage, the Israelites declare that really they want an earthly king. Um, they, let's remember, you know, they'd, they'd gone through a whole heap of stuff, but they'd, promised in the settled, um, they'd settled in the promised land, and it seems that either they'd forgotten, which they seem to do a lot, um, but they'd forgotten how good like God is and how good a king he was and how faithful he was to them. And really they, they said, you know, that they wanted to be like all the other nations and they, they asked for a human king. Now, I think it's important to remember that in those days, um, the kings in those days in the surrounding nations were not really anything like the king that we have today. You know, our king has a significant role in our nation. He is head of state. Um, he is head of the nation, but he doesn't, he, he reigns, but he doesn't rule with an iron fist like many previous leaders um, have done and was certainly the case in Bible times. Um, he, has, he has quite a different, a different role. Um, and, but going back to the passage, you know, a king in Samuel's world um, would really rule with power and control and Samuel warns the people of this. He says to them, you know, um, if you want an earthly king, this is what it's going to be like. I, I can't remember whether I had... Um, yeah, this is what it's going to be like. It says in verse 11 to 12, it says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to, the, to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take the best of each person's crops, a tenth of each person's grain, a tenth of their flock, and every person of Israel will become the earthly king's slave. You know, Samuel gives the people a warning that, you know, if you want to, you know, r really make an earthly king your king, this is what it's going to be like. But the people kind of think, well, you know, this is what we want. This is what everyone else has got. We want a king that's going to lead us into battle. And so we want to settle for this. This is what we want. And so God, you know, in his mercy says to them, you know, okay, well, I'll give you your request. You seem to have forgotten what I've done for you, but I'll give you your request. And he appoints Saul as king which, uh, you know, doesn't turn out to be so rosy, does it? In fact, the first half of Samuel, 1 Samuel, is dedicated to, uh, you know, character study about the flaws of, of, of Saul. But, um, you know, and, and, and in this passage, I think it's important for us to remember that although God, you know, says that he will, he will you know, uh, grant their request to have a king, he does, he does sort of remind them um, of what he's done for his people and, 
refers back to, you know, I brought you out of Egypt, but they seem to, they seem to have forgotten that this is what I've done. Um, you know, God was the best king that nation could have. Um, and I guess as we, as we kind of reflect on that, I want us just to um, have an opportunity this morning to really ask ourselves a challenging question as we reflect on this. And ask ourselves, really, is God king of our lives today? Does he have that place in our lives? And uh, actually, we, we sort of started touching upon that in worship a bit and in, in the response that we had, which is, you know, really incredible. But, you know, it, it maybe, maybe it's not that in every area of our life we've rejected God, but maybe are there some areas in our life that we actually haven't kept, king, kept God as king? Maybe we've taken some matters into our own hands and either become kings in our own lives or we've looked to other things to take that place and to give us that security or to provide us with direction and guidance. And I want us to look at the passages that God refers back to, which is kind of the passages in Exodus. Exodus, I'm going to look at Exodus 13, 14 and 16, just parts of that. And look at, really, because these passages give us incredible illustrations of how God is like the perfect king in our lives and what he does for his people. And just as a reminder, really, of who he is and what he does. And so we're going to look at Exodus 13, 14 and 16. We won't look at all of the passages. We'll just look at sort of parts of them. Um, and I guess just to set the context, so we, I'm sure we all know the story, it's so well known, but you know, the people of Israel have been in um, slavery, they've been in captivity in Egypt under Pharaoh, and God sends Moses to set his people free um, and go to Pharaoh and, and, and ask for the people to be set free. But Pharaoh doesn't give up that fight that easily. Um, in fact, it takes 11 plagues, horrible, horrible plagues, and he's still not giving in. And it's not really until the last one uh, where the firstborn um, of every household is, is killed that Pharaoh actually says, do you know, actually, I'm, I, I leave, you need to leave. You and your God need to leave. You and your people need to leave and orders them um, to, to leave. And so we pick up there in Exodus 13. And it says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them on the road that runs through Philistine territory, even though this was the shortest way from Egypt to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them along a route through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. The Lord guided them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. That way they could travel, whether it was day or night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar or cloud of fire, the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from their sight. You know, the first thing that I want to pick up from these passages is that God directs and he guides us and he shows us the way, even in the most difficult circumstances. I mean, I'd love to hear it if any of you have a testimony of God leading you by a pillar of a pillar of like smoke or a pillar of fire. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Maybe like lost in uh, lost in Loch Lomond, and a pillar comes up and shows you the way back to your car. That'd be amazing. I mean, he can do it. He's done it once. Um, but you know, through the Bible, you know, we 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 see time and time again that God um, promises to lead us and direct us. One of my and my favorite Bible passages is in Proverbs 3. 
verse five to six. And, you know, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. And that is a promise to us as his people. He promises to direct and guide us and to lead us in his ways. And, you know, there are many times in life when we need God's guidance, aren't there? When we, you know, are trying to work out where to live, what house to buy, where to send our kids to school, um, what job to take or what to do with our lives, um, how to spend our money, how to spend our time. There's so many times in life when we really, you know, in fact, every day we kind of need God's guidance. Some, some are big and sometimes we feel we're, we're at a crossroads and it's easy to see that there's sort of a decision to make and whether we're going to consult God or not on that. But other times, you know, it's actually just the small decisions in life, the everyday decisions in life. And really, I guess the question is, how much do we seek his guidance in both the big and the small you know, in, in those times in our lives when we're looking for leading? How open are we to his nudges or his challenges? When I, when I had Ben, um, I, you know, I, I felt really conflicted about this whole idea of, what, you know, what to do about going back to work. Um, you know, I, I absolutely really loved my job, but I also absolutely loved being a mum, and I'd obviously waited a long time for that. And so just this, this period of maternity leave, I just couldn't even fathom really leaving this child with anyone else, you know, and thinking, how, well, how does this work? How am I going to do this? And obviously, as he got older and he got a little bit more independent, I thought, yeah, okay, I can, I can see that, you know, that I could, I could go back to work, but, you know, what does this look like? And really, really wrestled with it. Um, and I explored lots of different options. I thought, you know, I could, I didn't want to go back to work full time, but I maybe wanted to go back to work part time. And I explored with my current sort of employee, employers whether I could come back part time. They said that that was possible. Um, but we're sort of thinking, oh, I don't know, I'll go back part time. And it's such a demanding job. I'll end up just doing full time out. You know, I'll end up working in the evenings and working late because I want to do a good job and um, so that I'm not sure that's really going to work. So I thought, mm, don't think my current job's really going to work for me. And then there was another job that came up that was like one day a week and I kind of explored that and pushed the door for that, but that didn't, nothing came of that. Um, and then I was also sort of thinking about doing sort of freelance consultancy stuff and, uh, but that felt like a really big deal because it felt like the most risky option really, you know, the no job security, no real guarantee that you were going to get any contracts. Makes you feel a bit vulnerable because you sort of think you've got to sort of sell your, sell yourself to people and, you know, am I really, you know, do, am I really good enough to do that? Um, and so, you know, there were, there was lots of kind of things going on in my mind and I just, I couldn't, I really couldn't work it out. I couldn't work it out anyway. Um, one day, I, on the day that I actually found out that I hadn't got the job, that was the one day a week, um, I, I got a message from my from my old boss just randomly out of the blue, like saying, um, would you consider doing some contract work with me? Uh, would you consider kind of doing consultancy or are you kind of wedded to going back to the job that you were in? And and I was like, oh, wow, like this has like, totally come out of the blue. This is amazing, you know. Um, but still, it was a big decision. Still, I had to sort of work out whether I wanted to kind of take that risky option and I remember just thinking do you know I, I've um I am seeking the Lord in this in in the in that sort of I'm I'm open to God sort of I want God to show me I want God to sort of show me the right way 
but I mean, as it is, manic life, newborn baby, all that kind of stuff, I actually wasn't actually sitting down and spending time with him and, and actually asking him. And a friend, you know, challenged me and said, you know, just, just go sit with your journal and just, just spend some time with God and just, just ask him, just ask him some questions. So I sat down and I probably only, you know, I probably was only doing it for maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes. So I, I, it wasn't like, it wasn't sort of like, Lord, you know, hours on my knees, like seeking him and, and asking him. But I just sat down with my journal and I, uh, and I had some questions that I asked him. And I just felt so clearly, such clarity that he said, you know, he said that to take this consultancy stuff and that I will provide, you know, ongoing work for you. I will, I'll provide for your family and and you, you won't be without work. And I really, really felt he, he promised me that. And, you know, what, two years down the line, I'm, I haven't, I, you know, I've been doing it. I've, I've never had a time when I haven't had any work. I've had contracts like the whole time. It's been incredible work. It's been incredible provision for us as a family. And I guess I tell you that because um, sometimes it's easy to actually just not sit and like ask God kind of what he's saying. And yet, and I, and I was wrestling with that decision. Nothing made sense to me. I just was like, I just can't work this out. I can't work out what to do with my life. I can't work out what the right thing is. And yet sitting down for 30 minutes, 45 minutes with God, it like was just crystal clear. He made it so crystal clear as to what I was to do. And it gave me the, the confidence to step out and do. So, so you know, he, he's so faithful and he's so... And he's so good at directing and guiding us when we ask. I guess, you know, as we reflect on this, I just have some questions really for us. You know, are there areas of our life that you, or your life that you're not allowing God to speak into or just not talking to him about? Are there areas of your life that you haven't fully submitted to God? You know, these are hard questions, but actually they're really good, just real questions to ask ourselves, aren't they? Aren't they? You know, are there areas that we're just not, um, we're just not talking to God about? We're, you know, and not necessarily like you're avoiding Him. It's actually just that you're just forgetting to spend time, just asking Him to direct and, and lead you. And if that's you, you know, just. Yeah, just just spend a few minutes. Let's just spend a, just a couple of minutes just just thinking about that. Okay. The second thing that God did, like in this story, well, He did many other things, but the th the one that I want to sort of like bring us to now is that. He really rescued the Israelites from um, the Egyptians. So classic Pharaoh, you know, he, he told them to go and then he changed his mind and thought, actually, what am I doing? <laughs> I need these people. So, you know, sent his armies to chase after them. <coughs> and, you know, we pick up really in the passage in Exodus 14, 21 to 28, where the Egyptian army are chasing them and they reach, they reach the, the Red Sea. And it says, then Moses raised his hand over the sea and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and charioteers followed them across the bottom of the sea. 
But early in the morning, I mean, this was going on a long time. It was a long way for them to walk. But in the early in the morning, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw them into confusion. Their chariot wheels began to come off, making their chariots impossible to drive. Let's get out of here, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for Israel against us. When all the Israelites were on the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back over the Egyptian chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water roared back into its usual place. And the Lord swept the terrified Egyptians into the surging currents. The waters covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh, all of the Egyptians who chased the Israelites into the sea. Not a single one survived. I mean, that's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Um, may, maybe, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking, it's not often that we have an, an army of Egyptians chasing after us in the wilderness. You know, it sounds like a bad, bad nightmare um, or a scene from a film. But, you know, there are times in our life when we feel like the world is against us or we have some real trials and tribulations to face and some adversaries to contend with. Life as a Christian isn't all rosy. We, we all know that. We, we can really face some, some considerable trials. And, you know, the question really is how much do we trust our God as our king to rescue us from our trials. And, you know, I don't know whether there are people here today who are facing challenging situations, but, you know, if you need God to make a way out for you, or you need a way through, or you have people who are speaking against you, or there's an area of your life where you really need God's favor and protection, we would really love to pray with you this morning and there'll be an opportunity kind of at the end for you know to, for you to get ministry we'd really love to pray for you because um god is with us at all times and he does want to rescue his people and he wants to show us a way and show us the way through so finally just the last oh sorry i didn't click on there for people reading through the last passage just comes in exodus 16 where you know they'd been they've obviously come through to the other side and they're in the wilderness and they're walking in the wilderness and they're in the desert and they're starving and they're grumbling wishing they were back in Egypt honestly Moses had a hard gig didn't he as a leader wow like what he didn't even want to do it he didn't even think he could do it did he um he had a hard gig because these Israelites kept on grumbling and complaining, saying, what have you done? We'd have been better off back in Egypt. Um, We've now got no food. We've got no water. And and this this passage just shows us again how God God provides. The Lord provides for us as as king of our lives. he, He promises to provide for us. And so... Um, God gave them meat um, in the evening through the provision of quails that would just appear on the land and there would just be an abundance of quails running around for them to, uh, you know, obviously um, kill and, and cook. And then in the morning, every morning there was manna um, that was provided from heaven every single morning. And it says in verse 18, so the instructions were really to gather two quarts um, of manna for each person and that was just that meant that everyone had just enough and so those that gathered a lot because they had big families um, had nothing left over and those who gathered a little had enough each family had just what it needed 
And this passage reminds us that God's provision is precise. You know, the Israelites always had enough. But, you know, God did test them in this. He told them not to store any of the manna, like not to gather more than they needed and store it. Um, that he would provide for them every single day, except for um, they had to gather twice on the sixth day so that um, they could observe the Sabbath. But, you know, he told them not to gather more, and yet some of them didn't listen. You know, class, you know, there's a running theme here. Some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. And what does it say? You know, they gathered more because they were a little bit worried that maybe he wouldn't show up again the next morning. And the manor was full of maggots and rotten and was no good, had a terrible smell. And I think, you know, this is a really good lesson to us all, isn't it? Because this story really teaches us how much do we really, really trust God, you know? Or how much do we try to control our own destiny and kind of put some provisions aside to make sure that, you know, things are just quite safe? And I'm not saying, you know, not all of us are called to live hand to mouth, not... You know, um, many of us actually are, you know, some of us in, in here will be called to manage and steward like large amounts of money and resources. And, and that's, you know, each to what kind of God has called us to. But what I'm talking about here is really um, who are we trusting for our provision? Who, who is actually king of our money and our possessions? And you know, an incredible testimony there that Anne told us this morning of a reminder, really, that God, God's really in control. And, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, but, you know, sometimes we can feel that we own. We own, like, our money and our possessions. Um, you know, how happy are we to submit them to God and do whatever he asks us with them, knowing that he is a good father and will always provide sufficient for us and will always provide what we need and it's a challenge reading this story because I think if God asked me to live day by day for his provision which Israelite would I've been like would I've been like the one that sort of said okay yes I'm just going to trust that he's going to come the next morning and provide as he has done every day or would I be the one that actually stored a little bit extra just in case just in case he didn't show up for the next day For many years um, now, and, and I'll, I'll land with this, you know, like, um, you know, we, we uh, Dave's had to trust God for the finance for his business every time um, that the money runs out and then needs another injection of cash for the next stage of the business. Um, and he's really had to trust God for that because um, it hasn't always come in the, in the most kind of conventional ways or the ways that we were expecting. And the thing that we've really learned um, in all of that is that God often doesn't provide in the way that we kind of hope or think he's going to. You know, we would love it if God kind of gave us that injection of cash maybe even just three months before the money was going to run out. You know, that would just be nice. It would just be like, do you know what? Three months, great. Got, got that time. Security, the money's come in. But most, in fact, every single time, every single time in this, and it feels like it's just a rule of God. I don't know, maybe other people have other experiences, but it's like God really does provide at the 11th hour. He really does not provide until you absolutely need it. And actually, there's also lots of stories of people, and I've spoken to lots of people where it's not even just about money. Sometimes God calls you to do something, and it's not until you actually step out and do it 
that he gives you the resources or gives you the kind of makes it clear. You know, you actually have to step out in faith first. It's like the Indiana Jones, like, you know, image, isn't it, of stepping out and then the rock appears underneath your feet. It's very much like that in our faith. And because we're called to live by faith. And so really my questions to you in this area are, are you trusting God to be your provider? Would there be anything you'd struggle to give away or struggle to trust him to provide for you? You know, how much are we trusting God? So as we close this morning, you know, 1 Samuel 8, the Israelites were asking for a human king in place of God as the king of their nation and the king of their lives. And you know, today, God wants to be king of our lives. And we were reminded this morning, you know, he... Like, he deserves to be king of our lives because he's just worthy of that place in our lives, isn't he? Kind of no question. It's just like, actually, that's just, he's worthy of that. But actually, he also wants to be king of our lives because he knows that's the best thing for us. It's absolutely the best thing for us. He is a good God. He's a good father. He's a good king. And, you know, I was really touched by that. That I hadn't heard that um, song in worship this morning. And I can't remember all the lyrics, but it sort of talks about how you could search for eternity and you would never find anyone as good as God and as good as our king, you know. We literally, you know, we could ask for other things that will make us safe or secure or look to other things for guidance or direction or provision. But actually, God is the best person that we can trust with our lives. You know, and I'm sure we've got testimonies, testimonies that relate to these stories of leading us, guiding us, of saving us from our calamities and our trials, of providing for us. I'm sure there are many testimonies around this room. But even if you don't, these are our stories. You know, this is our history as his people. These stories are our stories to claim and to remind ourselves of in those times when it's really difficult. And so I guess, you know, just as we reflect on some of those questions and some of those things, I'd love just, you know, this morning there is an invitation to once again kind of just put, king as ki- put God as king of our lives because he is king of kings and he is lord of lords and he wants to lead us, he wants to direct us, he wants to provide for us and he wants to save us. Um, He wants to be in every kind of part of who we are and what we do. And there's an invitation for us to just recommit our lives to him and to really put him in that place in our lives. And so I want, you know, there's going to be a ministry team up here at the end of church. And if you want to respond in prayer um, about anything that we've spoken about, but also if if you have any needs or you need healing this morning or anything um, you want prayer for, then please do take the opportunity to be prayed for. Um, But I thought it'd be really powerful, just as we reflect on God as King this morning, that actually if you want to recommit your life to God and actually say to him, reaffirm to him this morning that, yeah, you know, God, I, I want to put you first in my life. I want you to be King of my life, of my decisions of who I am and what I do, then I'd really just love to invite you to stand and we can just pray together. So if, the, if you want to do that this morning and you want that opportunity, then I just invite you to stand and we'll pray.
Yeah, and why don't you just place your hand on your heart? And let's just pray together. Father God, would you be king of my life? I thank you that you are a good father. You have the best for me. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you direct me? Would you help me trust you for everything I need and all of my provision? I give you my heart because it's the greatest gift that I can give you. And I pray that you would lead me. In Jesus' name, amen.